When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to say to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. For great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Thank you. We, going through the Sermon on the Mount, you probably noticed we haven't been going through it. We've stuck, right? at the Beatitudes. We're going to do that, <clears throat> excuse me, one more thing. <clears throat> that's probably that alert went off was for a frog in my throat. Um, that's why my phone is in another room. Anyway, um, we're stuck in the Beatitudes one more day because we really need to get this. It's kind of like the, the Constitution. Most of us don't know the Constitution. Uh, I, there, there are whole bets of it that I've never read in my life. But we have heard the preamble, the setup. And the Beatitudes are the setup here. Starting next week, we get out of this and go on to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm looking forward to it because next week uh, we're planning for Evan to co-preach with me. And we're going to try to get, do more and more of that. As I get older and less useful, uh, I'd like to train more and more people to speak so that the church, you know, you always want the church to outlive you, don't you? You always want the church to grow and prosper, and that, that I'm looking forward to it. Know this. This is kind of important. Jesus gave the main points in the Beatitudes more than once. Like any good speaker, he had some talks that he gave a lot. He would go different places and say the talks. This becomes important later. He would, uh, he would re- reshape it sometimes, but the main points were there. And that's why we have not only Matthew 5, but we have Luke 6. Some have called this another version of the Sermon on the Mount. So let me give you a little warning. If ever you find yourself reading a bunch of commentaries, it can happen, you're going to find some that will say, oh, there's a big contradiction between Matthew 5 and Luke 6 because here he's on a mountain, here he's down here, here he says this, here he says something else. He was speaking in different ways at different times, recorded by different people in different times. It's all the same message. There's one conclusion you can draw, which some atheist friends of mine have drawn, which is the Bible contradicts itself, we can't listen. The other way is to say, Jesus had a talk, and he gave that talk in different places where he went. And sometimes he added a bit because the crowd needed a little bit of woe. And in Luke, he added some woes, but we're getting ahead of it. John said, Jesus said and did so much things that all the paper in the world could not contain what he had said and done. Now, that's 
most likely hyperbole. But hyperbole is there to point us to a truth. And that is, most of what Jesus said and did was not recorded because it was known. It was understood by the people who lived there. We're going to give you a big illustration of that in a bit. Hyperbole points to reality. Most of what Jesus said and did, we don't have. So what we do have, we should treasure. Because it's so important, God would not let that go. He wanted us to know about it. None of the Gospels are a full biography of Jesus' life because, as odd as this sounds, the Jews weren't really into doing biographies. That's not the way they did things. They did tell stories, and they gave partial biographies, but what we call biographies, where I was born in wherever, Muskegee, and then raised in L.A., and then I, that sort of thing was not what they did. I think the closest you could get to that in the early Jewish writings that I know of is Josephus. And even that, if you start reading it, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, it, uh, if you finish it, you're, you're, you're a better man than I. How's that? Um, it, it is, it's a struggle. And he will go off onto all kinds of tangents. Each gospel has a point. It has a direction. With Matthew... It is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the new Moses. We talked about that last week. The gospel was written, Matthew, the gospel was written to, to God's chosen people, the Jews, so that they would be assured God has not forsaken you. He's not left you out. He did send you the Messiah, and he was one of you, and he loves you. Then we go to Luke, and Luke is slightly more biographical. Luke actually interviewed people. The way we know that is in Luke, there are things about Mary's secret inward thoughts at a couple of points. He could have only gotten that by talking to Mary. And there are a few other things like this. So he tried to do a different picture of Jesus, but his is all about the table. Read Luke sometime and look for the table. It's all about gathering at the table and, and starting a fellowship with people that we normally wouldn't fellowship with, whether it be Gentiles, whether it be publicans and sinners, or whether it be fallen women. Or at Luke, Jesus meets people at the table. Some, by the way, and just if you don't know this, some people, I, I, I'd have to say the, the, the vast majority, frankly, of scholars believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke all used a source document that we don't have. And they call it Q for the German word for source, which I guess is Kel. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, I don't speak German. But the, the, they say all of them have so much of the same material, they must have come from a common source, but then spend it their way. And John went off on his own. Whether or not that is true, it is true that there are some bets that I wish had been written that, that weren't. Again, because they were known. Think about the road to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24 is one of those passages that actually drives me to prayer, but not the way you might think. Uh, it doesn't drive me to prayer saying, Lord, how wonderful. It is, couldn't you have written a little more there? In Luke 24, if you remember, the road to Emmaus, Jesus has died. He is resurrected, but the people don't know that yet. So two men, disappointed, brokenhearted, are walking away from Jerusalem. They think it's all over. They don't know what's going to happen next. Jesus appears to them, but they don't know it's Jesus. 
However, that God arranged that, he arranged that. And Jesus walks along with them, which I find lovely. He, he walks with them first. He listens to them next. And then he begins to talk to them. And in Luke chapter 24, and in verse 27, he says this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And we don't have a word of that sermon. That had to have been the best sermon ever. That had to have been the best personal Bible study ever. Believe it or not, this has driven some people to faith. One of the greatest atheists of the last hundred years was Professor Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew debated uh, the great believers of this world and really knocked them off, most of them, until he came across one of our guys, Thomas Warren. And to be very honest, I've read those debates a couple of times and I don't entirely understand them because they come at it through philosophy. And I have studied so little philosophy in my life, I'm not always sure I'm getting what they're saying. But Warren held his own, and so they've even had, I think they had two debates. But Antony Flew in his 80s shocked the world when he said, I now believe there's a God. And one of the reasons was, he said, because it was so well known, they didn't even have to write the sermon down. If it was that well known, these books are not propaganda but they're actually reporting about something everybody knew. Therefore, they didn't have to explain it. Now, that may be a little bit hard to get your head around. It took me a little bit as well. But the fact is, there's so much gone. Whatever's there is precious. We need to read what is there. We need to know what is there. And we come to the material and we find in Matthew, we see some of it in Luke, but it's different. Luke, in fact, makes pains to say it's different. In Luke chapter 6, he'll even say, Jesus came down to level ground, and then he stood up to teach them. I would think that indicates Jesus really wants us to understand this material. Let's have a look at Luke's version of the Beatitudes. In Luke chapter 6, he went down with them and stood on a level, stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come down to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. The people were all trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor. Notice it doesn't say poor in spirit. There's a little change there. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe, see, Luke puts the woes in. But woe to you who are rich. For you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Let's take a look at how this all works. Giving, adding in the woes gives us something 
to talk about, which we really should mention from time to time. The way of Jesus is a way of forgiveness, grace, love, and peace. I think we all agree about that. Taking any other way will not lead to love, forgiveness, grace, and peace. You can try other roads, but they don't get you there. I can remember once we had a uh, comparative religion class, a, a semester, in high school. And the teacher drew a wagon wheel on the board and put God at the center or heaven at the center, I don't remember which, and all the different spokes he put different religions on. And he said, all of the roads go to the same place. If that is true, that's the only place in the universe that that works. Because in every other thing that we find, different roads go different places. I can't say, I'd, I'd like to go to Memphis, but I couldn't find I-40, so I went up I-20 twice. It, it doesn't work that way. Or if the doctor says, you need to take this pill two times a day, I'm not going to look at that and say, two, five, ten, what's the difference? It, or I don't want to take that pill. That pill is white. I, I, like, I like red pills. So I'm going to go find red pills. It doesn't work this way anywhere else. And when Jesus says, I am the way, who are we to say, I wonder what alternative routes we could use? There are woes to those who do not go through Jesus. And in Luke, he's bringing it up. In Luke, he's telling the, the crowd, you don't get to make these decisions. This is the way. And whenever something is sin, when Jesus declares something sin, let's remember something. He's, he's not calling it sin because it's fun. Now, when I was younger, and yes, that used to happen, and the earth had not adequately cooled, dinosaurs ruled the earth. But when I was young, it seemed that everything fun that I wanted to do was sin. Now, to be honest, now that I've grown up and looked back at it, I see that they made some mistakes about what they called sin. But still, the devil will present sin as fun. And he will always tell you, this will get you where you want to go. And it never gets you where you want to go. And it usually is fun to start. It usually is. But it doesn't end fun. Why do people take drugs? Because the first couple times, it's fun. Evidently, it's an incredible amount of fun. So much fun that you can't stop it and it destroys you. The same with other sins. He's trying to protect us, so he gives us woes. Years ago, in fact, I'm, I'm asked this frequently when I talk to people about psychology. See, I did study that, not philosophy. Uh, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure either of them were all that helpful to me. But still, there you are. People will come up to me and they'll say, Freud div divided people into three different groups. And then we have, we have um, Myers-Briggs, and it has four main groups of different groups. And now you've got the, uh, the Enneagram, and you've got, you've got all... You know, how, how, what, how many different types of people are there? In my response, I actually stole from a teacher of mine years ago. I say there are two kinds of people in the world. They get their pencils ready. There are the kind of people that divide people into two kinds, and there are the people who don't. You can constantly find a way to divide. You can constantly find a different option. But walking in the way of Jesus reveals that he is your Lord. Walking in any other way 
reveals that you are your Lord. You have decided your path. As we take this last 15 or 20 minutes to take a look, hour, hour and a half, to take a look at these, at these Beatitudes. If you're a visitor, don't panic, please. We're, we love you. We would not do that to you. There are people assigned with a dart gun to make sure it does not happen to you. As we take a, a last bit look at this before we move into the rest, we need to talk about how these are arranged. Again, commentaries will say, well, we think it's group like this and group like that. I would like for us not to think so much in terms of having to arrange things. Rather, look at these Beatitudes and don't look at them as states of being, which I looked at them at, I looked at them, and I can't even say the words. I looked at them that way for years, that you were to be in this state and you were to be in this state. What if these are a call to action? Instead, instead of be a peacemaker, as in that's just kind of who you are. No, get up and go make peace. Instead of being poor in spirit, why don't you find a way to use that for, for the kingdom? Scott McKnight, in his excellent commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says that we should always keep in mind when you read the Beatitudes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then use that to make each of the Beatitudes an action point. A call to action. In fact, in Luke 4, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. And it's kind of, looks like he's leading up to the Beatitudes. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Now that's more Lukeish there because you have a woe in there. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. I love that phrase. A planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Hear the word of the Lord. He comes to the poor, but he does not intend to leave them poor. He comes to the brokenhearted, but he does not intend to leave them brokenhearted. He comes to those whose spirits are, are just broken and, and, and spilling open with pain, but he has no intention of letting them stay there. When Jesus comes, he gives us action items to say, this is who you are. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Put it right. Put it right. Fix this. Be an agent of God. Be, as Paul would say in, in Corinthians, an ambassador of Christ. Change these things. The first Beatitudes, the first three are the good news. The Messiah is here. He's going to make it okay. Justice will reign. And then the next three Beatitudes are, it's time to link arms with God. It's time to do what God is doing. Join him in his task not the world in its task. Join God. 
What kind of people follow Jesus? They're the kind of people who seek mercy. They're the kind of people who are pure in heart. They, they hunger for righteousness. They're, they love working with God. I find that wonderful. They're selfless. They're, they're, um, they're not using kingdom work as a way to enrich themselves or to increase their status in the land. They're doing what Jesus did in the shortest biography ever written about Jesus. It's in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with a holy spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. I love that phrase, he went about doing good. If we are in the Jesus road, that's what we do. We go about doing good. Now, here's where we, we've got a, the application. If we go through all of our social media feeds, are we going about doing good? If we take all of our conversations we have with our families, are we going about doing good? When we go into shops or when we get a car repaired or when we go into the doctors and we're having to go through all of the forms, are we, are we going about doing good? Are we doing his will or is our situation and our pain and our comfort so important to us right now, we're not actually seeing the will of God? God calls us to put different eyes in our head. Let's go about doing good. Let's ignore the evil, move forward, and just do good. Is this a work salvation? Because that's always brought in. Are we saying that we have to earn your, your salvation? You, you can't. You can't earn your salvation. But the saved people are known for following Jesus. Again, we do not do what we do to be saved. We do what we do because we are. This is our road. We have linked arms with Jesus. When I got married, I linked arms with Cammie. Whenever I go somewhere with a girl, it's Cammie. That's the one. Because we go on that road. That's my, that's my person. That's who we've linked arms with. Who have you linked arms with spiritually? Let's consider those three middle beatitudes, those that require linking arms with Jesus. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. How comfortable are you with your current knowledge of Scripture, with your current level of righteousness? How, how comfortable are you? This is a very broad brush. It might even be unfair. I have found that a great number of people who scream, I believe the Bible, every word of it, haven't actually read it. They just have it as a totem. And so I'll, I, I know, I, I don't actually press them, but I have been in places where they were pressed. One by, um, well, I don't want to say his name, but he's my son-in-law and he preaches just up the road. Uh, we, were, we, were, we were in a meeting with elders, and this was done very friendly. This was not confrontational in any way at all. He brought up to them, he said, we often say we follow the scripture, but how well do we know it? And the elders there said, we think we know it pretty well. So Josh said, give me the Ten Commandments in order. Well, that took about 20 minutes. And then he started, he, he said, give me the Beatitudes. We didn't get all of those. He, he, he was, I was, I was scooting my chair away from him, to be honest. I, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen next. 
I have a friend of mine in the ministry who makes people uncomfortable, and he's not a bad guy. He doesn't mean to. But his standard greeting to you is, what are you working on? And a lot of people are going, um, of. Because we say hunger and thirst after righteousness, but how hungry are we? Have you ever been really hungry for chocolate? Yeah. You're going to find chocolate. You are going to... I was in... We were in Colorado. It was snowing. Cammy was away. I don't... I think visiting her, her mom and dad or somewhere in Texas. I was on my own. I wanted chocolate. There was none in the house. Don't tell me I have not suffered. Our, our drive was a ski ramp. Uh, and once you hit it, you were going whether you wanted to or not. I got chocolate. I am a survivor. Um, yes. I, uh. But you understand that, don't you? It may not be chocolate for you. It may be something else. I, have, I, I talked to a friend recently who said they get really uptight and, and they have no peace if they don't have their morning run. I know. They hunger for that. Honestly, I hunger for quiet time to read and think. What, what do we hunger for? If we hunger for righteousness, we're going to work harder on this, aren't we? We're going to go for this. What are you working on? Are you linked arms with Jesus in this? And note, this isn't blessed are those who wish they were kind of more righteous. It's a hunger. The next one says, if you want to walk with Jesus, your goal in life is to seek mercy. Not just for yourself, but for others. Mercy. In this church, you will not hear us attack others. We just, we're just not going to do it. But what if they, what if they deserve it? <laughs> not going to do it. I deserve attacking. How about you? Not going to do it. The Bible says, you want mercy, give mercy. So this is a, you, you have come to a center of mercy. If you want mercy for yourself, you must want it for others. And the Bible says your goal in life needs to be mercy. I saw a cartoon once where a woman was telling her son about her late husband, his father, obviously, how they never had a quarrel, never had a harsh word. And then she opens a closet and it's stacked with paper. She said, I did, however, write a few things down. I have found in my life that when I bury the hatchet, I tend to remember where I put it. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. And then we often ask ourselves, ask God for mercy for us, but justice for others. But God makes this deal very plain. Look at this. In Matthew 9, 13, then we'll go to Luke, then we'll go to James. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. By the way, that's a pretty high bar, don't you think? Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's all through Scripture. I pulled out three. We could have pulled out 300. Literally, you could pull out 300. It's all about that. The last three Beatitudes speak to those 
who make peace even when it costs them. Peacemakers. They accept persecution. They accept slander without retaliation, without fighting back, just as Jesus took the nails. They model to other human beings how God has acted to them. He came, with, he came at us with peace on earth. So we come at them with peace, mercy, and peace. After all we did to him, he showed us those things and then said, now show those to others. That's who we are. Remember, the Beatitudes are a statement of who we are, a statement of being, a call to action. This is who we are. This is our road. This is the God we follow. And so we see these Beatitudes not as a list of how God loves broken people, although he does, but more as a call to action. Live like this. Understand these things. Follow me here. I think we can all agree that we lose track of these things. Life is busy. Life is noisy. We, uh, we get our, our, our hackles up. I'm not sure what a hackle is, but when it gets up, evidently you're upset. We get our hackles up at, at things that we see on television or the like. What if we bust people in to be peaceful rather than bust people in to protest? What if we sat across the table with people we disagreed with and ate with them and showed them mercy rather than trying to argue them to our side? What if we acted like Jesus in this world? I think the world needs more Jesus, not less. I think the Lord needs more people who live out the Beatitudes, not less. When Lauren and Evan told me that many of the teens were working so hard on the Sermon on the Mount, that excited me no end. Gives me more hope for the future. I think we all need to remember our preamble, who we are. I'm going to let Mark bring his team up. I have here a prayer of recommitment to God and to the principles of Scripture. These are written, rather, this is in first person. It's me. But if you agree that it also applies to you at the end, I would like for you to say amen at the end. But you'll have to listen carefully. Don't want you to amen something you don't agree with. Let's all stand. This is a prayer of recommitment. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to know the real you in all your fullness and glory like I've never known before. I've wandered away from you and have become lukewarm in my walk of faith. I repent for not giving you total control of my life. Jesus, please fill me anew with your love and peace that surpasses all understanding. Please renew my strength and faith, restore my hope so that I might know the real you intimately. Lord, I declare you are my hope, my salvation, my rock, my shelter, my provider, my healer, my everlasting father, and I want to dwell in your presence and love all the days of my life. Lord Jesus, I trust in your love and believe in your word. Light the fire of your Holy Spirit again in me so that I may taste and see each day that you are good. And from the English Book of Common Prayer, O Lord my God, to you and to your service, I devote myself, body, soul, and spirit. 
Fill my memory with the record of your mighty works. Enlighten my understanding with the light of your Holy Spirit. And may all the desires of my heart and will center in what you would have me do. Make me an instrument of your salvation for the people entrusted to my care. And grant that by my life and teaching, I may set forth your true and living word. Be always with me in carrying out the duties of my faith. In prayer, quicken my devotion. In praises, heighten my love and gratitude. In conversation, give me readiness of thought and expression. And grant that by the clearness and brightness of your holy word, all the world may be drawn into your blessed kingdom. All this I ask for the sake of and in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all who agree say, Amen. Amen.